Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Is this too loud? Is this all right? It's okay. All right. So uh, it's good to be back. It's been away for a while. Um, we're going to be in Jeremiah, uh, chapters 9 and 10. We'll probably spend most of our time on chapter 10. It is kind of the wrap-up chapter for um, uh, going back uh, to um, the section that Dad started last week. And uh, as Dad said last week, uh, there gets to be a little bit of repetition about this because it seemed like the God through Jeremiah's kind of just keep saying the same thing. And um, you wonder why does he keep saying the same thing? And it may be because they need to keep hearing the same thing. And so that's kind of where we find ourselves. And um, the first verses of chapter 9 uh, kind of catch up in the, in the middle of, of this uh, lament that uh, Jeremiah has um, Picking up back to verse 18 of, of uh, chapter 8. Uh, my joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. Behold, the cry of the daughter of my people. Um, and his lament for this. And uh, the last verse there, uh, is there no bomb in Gilead? And so forth. And um, this continues into verse 1. I'm going to have to turn myself down. I just sound too loud to myself. All right. Can you still hear? All right. Jeremiah continues. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I may weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the desert a traveler's lodging place, that I might leave from my people and go away from them. For they are all adulterers, a company of treacherous men. They bend their tongue like a bow. Falsehood and not truth has grown strong in the land. For they proceed evil from evil, and they do not know me, declares the Lord. Uh, so this lament, of course, Jeremiah, and with God's words in there as well. Um, we've got this section, especially those last few verses, about how truthful people are being, um, which is not very. They bend their tongue like a bow. Isn't that interesting? Um, you can be... Language is, let me put it this way, language is so rich, and it, the, the benefits of the amazing language that we have is that we can express very complex things with a lot of nuance, right? The downside of that, and this is why scripture often talks about, you know, um, speech that kind of goes too far, um, the downside of the richness of our language is that sometimes you can say things that sound right, but really aren't. Uh, you can, you know, you can just go on and on about something, but then there's that little hook that everybody knows that you're not even being sincere about what you're saying. You know, it's, language is, is very tricky in that regard. And, and this bend their tongue like a bow um, just sounds, that, that rings true to me, uh, ironically. Uh, 
Verse 4, here's some advice. Let everyone beware of his neighbor and put no trust in any brother. For every brother is a deceiver. Every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Everyone deceives his neighbor and no one speaks the truth. They've taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity. I mean, think about that little phrase. They are doing wrong so often and so frequently. It's just wearing them out with all the badness that they're doing. They're just tired of all their badness. They weary themselves committing iniquity, heaping oppression upon oppression and deceit upon the deceit. They refuse to know me, declares the Lord. Um, I talked uh, the other day about the influence that we have with the people that we associate with, right? The we're known by the friends we keep principle that we can choose to walk with those who are wise and become wise and so forth uh, this reflects that same exact truth verse 7 therefore says the Lord of hosts behold I will refine them and test them for what else can I do because of my people but God loves us and sees his folks misbehaving what else can he do but to chastise them? And here it comes. Behold, I will refine them and test them. Their tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceitfully with his mouth. Each speaks peace to his neighbor, but in his heart he plans an ambush for them. Shall I not punish them for these things? Shall not I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? I will take up weeping and wailing for the mountains and a lamentation for the pastures of the wilderness because they are laid waste so that no one passes through and the lowing of cattle is not heard. Verse 11, I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins, a lair of jackals. I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitants. I think Daddy touched on this as well, that... um, they kind of saw Jerusalem as home base. Like, as long as we're in Jerusalem, we're good. Um, this this uh, force field around us, you know, well, surely God's going to protect Jerusalem because it's Jerusalem. Um, this says, no, I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins. So now we have this little interlude, verse 12. Who is the man so wise that he can understand this? To whom has the mouth of the Lord spoken that he may declare it? Why is the land ruined and laid waste like a wilderness so that no one passes through? And the Lord says, Because they have forsaken my law that I set before them and have not obeyed my voice or walked in according with it, they have stubbornly followed their own hearts and have gone after the Baals. Therefore says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will feed this people with bitter food and give them poisonous water to drink. I will scatter them among the nations whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send the sword after them until I have consumed them. Think about how that is the mirror image of what God told these folks as they were on the edge of the promised land, right? He brought them there. He says, he told them, I'm going to go before you so that you can claim this land. I'm going to provide, and he had provided food for them 
water for them. And, you know, that in itself was a miracle, right? Finding all this water in the desert for what we thought were, what, a couple million people? Think about that. I mean, that in itself is just crazy. How do, how do, you, how do you get enough water for two million people? Everything's backwards here. They follow their, you know, he said, obey my law, right? Put me first. Don't go after idols. That's in the top ten, too. And he said, they follow their own hearts. They've gone after the Baals. They've forsaken my law. They've not walked in accordance with it. Therefore, they're getting bitter food. They're getting poisonous water. It's like totally backwards. And not only am I not going to go out in front of them with the sword, I will send the sword after them. Total backwards. And then this next section is interesting because it's basically things are going to be so bad, all you're going to hear is wailing, and maybe y'all ought to practice your wailing. That's kind of what this is saying. Therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider and call for the mourning women to come. Send for the skillful mourning women to come. Let them make haste and raise a wailing over us, that our eyes may run down with tears and our eyelids flow with water. For our sound of wailing is heard from Zion, how we are ruined. We are utterly shamed because we left the land. Hear, O women, the word of the Lord. Let your ear receive the word of his mouth. Teach to your daughters a lament and each to her neighbor a dirge. For death has come up into our windows and has entered our palaces, cutting off our children from the streets and so forth. Verse 22, speak, thus declares the Lord, the dead, of, the dead bodies of men shall fall like done upon the open field, like sheaves after the reaper, and none shall gather them. One of the commentators I read, you know, we talked, uh, I think Dad talked about last week that uh, these were the... the uh, temple speeches, right? And that except for a few interludes, uh, this was all very poetic language, and you could almost picture it as a play, um, a dramatic reading, you might say, a performance of sorts to, you know, everyone knew Jeremiah was a prophet, right? This is not to negate what he's saying, but to make a point um, just think, or in your in your ear, picture a prophet using every skill of an orator that they could bring to bear, right? Talking softly if you needed to catch their attention. Making your points when you needed to make those. Using a different voice if you needed to do that. I mean, all those things are happening as part of this. And you can kind of insert some sort of a sarcastic tone for those last verses that I read. Now there's a change. Verse 23. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me, for I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in, in the earth for in these things I delight declares the Lord we could probably just hang out in that verse right the rest of the time 
he gave us several examples. Wisdom, power, riches. Those topics still play today, right? Those are the big ways that, you know, power in our day, uh, a lot of that has to do with influence, right? You can have power in a couple different ways. You can have power from position, right? Uh, some position of authority, but you also have the power of influence, which arguably might even be more powerful. Wisdom, riches, those same things are still today, and, um, and we lean on those. And I'll argue in a minute that for many of us, it may not be our own wisdom that we may boast in, but we may associate ourselves into tribes under someone else who we might say has wisdom or someone else who has power or someone who else has riches. We kind of, you know, say, well, I'm on his team, right? And so we not, may not be boasting in our own wisdom or influence, but we may be kind of lining up in that team and therefore have the same risks that the person themselves would, would have. Verse 25. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert, who cut the corners of their hair, for all these nations are uncircumcised. And listen to this. All the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. The days are coming when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. Again, the Jews were banking on their pedigree. We've got the temple. We've been circumcised. We're the chosen nation. Right? Surely God will bless us. Surely God will protect us. All those commands, we're going to maybe ignore those, but we're going to hang on to the promises, but without the conditions. If we, uh, if we head to Romans, like um, Pastor Bobby says, we might, um, we're going to hear this same exact concept really fleshed out. Paul really gets into this concept of who is truly circumcised, who is truly uh, of the tribe of Israel. And he's going to argue that those who know Christ are the ones who are circumcised in the heart. And basically, Jeremiah is saying, or God's saying through him, all these other nations, Egypt, Judah, Edom, and so forth, they were equally uncircumcised as you are. You're no better than them is what he's saying. All right. Chapter 10. Hear the word of the Lord. I'm sorry. Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. 
Thus says the Lord. Learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. In other words, you've got other nations around you that are looking to the stars. They're looking for guidance, you might say, from somewhere else. Don't follow their lead. Don't choose your path the same way that these other nations are choosing their path. Verse 3, for the customs of the peoples are vanity. Worthless is what that means. For the customs of the peoples are worthless. Now, there's a great section that's coming right here. And this is all arguing about just how worthless these other nations are, especially their other gods. Listen to this. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. I could, in, in today's world, I could almost picture the YouTube of this, right? You see the time lapse. You see the tree cut down. You see the craftsman working it over with the axe. Verse 4, they decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so they cannot move. Right? I can just, I can see this. Verse 5. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field, and they cannot speak. They have to be carried, these idols that is, for they cannot walk. Don't be afraid of them. They can't do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. There's the, the picture is they have raised up from a tree that they have carved and then decorated and they're going to put that up to worship and it's as meaningless as a scarecrow and the cucumbers are laying prostrate, bowing down to the scarecrow. That's the mental image. You've got this field of melons is another way to put it laying on the ground as if they are worshiping the scarecrow that's how meaningless all this is I think that's hilarious verse 6 there is none like you O Lord you are great and your name is great in might who would not fear you O king of nations for this is your due for among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. They are both stupid and foolish. The instructions of idols is but wood. Beaten silver is brought up from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz. They are the work of the craftsmen and of the hands of the goldsmith, for their clothing is violet and purple. They are all the work of skilled men. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earthquakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. All of these idols. Who is bringing forth the idols? This is interesting to me. It's all these people. It's our purple contingent over here. Right? <laughs> they they are the work of the craftsmen of the hands of the goldsmith. Their clothing is violet and purple. What do all those statements say? These are rich folks. 
right? How else are they going to get the silver? From far away. How else are they going to get the gold? From far away. However, how else are they going to have their clothing dyed with purple, which was the most expensive dye? They are rich. They have carefully crafted all this with means. Now think about today. How carefully crafted are the messages that we're hearing nowadays? How carefully we would say, what's the word? Uh, curated is the, the, the word that's used, right? Like a museum curates, uh, decides what of their vast number of paintings, which one are you going to put on the walls, right? That's how, that's usually how, what curated mean, meant in the past. Now curate means uh, people get to decide uh, what messages get elevated, whether it's on your social media platforms, whether it's in your search engine, and which messages fall to the bottom. By the way, um, are any of you familiar with DuckDuckGo? DuckDuckGo is an alternative to Google. They do not track your searches. They do not influence the search results. And so you can, um, you can tell your browser, when I type in a search, I want, like in the search bar at the top, you know, you don't have to go to Google, you can just type in the, the line where the, normally the website shows up, you can just type in there. Um, DuckDuckGo um, is definitely a, a, a privacy upgrade if you're interested. Um, <laughs> that was a, a chasing a rabbit, but yeah, <laughs> chasing a duck instead of a rabbit. Um, so, these are rich people creating these idols. Now, part of me wonders, now you obviously you had the masses that are worshiping them, right? But there's this little cynical part of me that's thinking, those people that made them, they knew they were making just wood stuff. I'm wondering if they knew that they were making scarecrows with no power, but by making them, they could influence everyone else to do whatever they wanted, right? You know, we've talked about, you know, the temple prostitutes and everything. There was probably somebody that owned all those prostitutes, right? I mean, a lot of things haven't changed. Power, money, influence, all that's still the same. And the, the worst position to be in is if you think that you can't be influenced. Because then you're basically just being led by the nose and you don't even know it. All right, here we go. Verse 11. Thus shall you say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings forth the wind from his storehouses. 
For every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false, and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment they shall perish. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob, for he is the one who formed all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance, and the Lord of hosts is his name. Um, not only are these idols that you made with your hands worthless, but God is God, and nothing else is close. Verse 17, gather up your bundle from under the ground, O you dwell, O you who dwell under siege. For thus says the Lord of God, here's what's coming. Behold, I am slinging out the inhabitants of the land at this time. I will bring distress on them that they may feel it. Woe is me because of my hurt. My wound is grievous, but I said truly this is an affliction. I must bear it. There's some, um, I'm probably uh, not doing it justice, but this is one of those voice change things. Uh, if there was a public performance or maybe Jeremiah's right-hand guy is taking part of the part. So in 17 and 18, you have um, the prophet speaking to Jerusalem. In 19 and 20, Woe is me because of my hurt. What my wound is grievous. Truly, this is an affliction. I must bear it. My tent is destroyed. All my cords are broken. My children have gone from me, and they are not. There is no one to spread my tent again and to set up my curtains. This might be Jerusalem responding to the prophet. And then beginning in verse 21 again, the shepherds are stupid and do not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, they have not prospered, and their flock is scattered. So who's he referring to about the stupid shepherds? These are the priests, right? These are the leaders. The shepherds think in terms of like, you know, actual shepherds. The sheep are the shepherds. Who's supposed to know where the good grazing is? Are the sheep supposed to know? No, the shepherds are supposed to know. Who's supposed to know where the nearest well is? Are the sheep supposed to know that? The shepherds are supposed to know that. Who's supposed to direct the sheep to safe places away from the wolves? The shepherds are supposed to do that. And here we find out, for the shepherds are stupid and do not require the Lord. You know, that's one of those words that, you know, when you got little kids around, you know, you don't say stupid. You know, you don't want people to call people stupid. But sometimes, you know, if, if it fits, for the shepherds are stupid. They do not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, they have not prospered, and all their flock is scattered. <coughs> Verse 22, a voice, a rumor. Behold, it comes a great commotion out of the north country to make the cities of Judah a desolation, a lair of jackals. Um. Again, hear the drama. Hear Jeremiah uh, basically uh, taking on the role of a herald who's come into town and say, a voice, a room, but it's coming, y'all. It's happening. 
Verse 23. I know, O Lord, this... um, This is interesting. Um, Remember, I think it was last week, Dad said, we read that Jeremiah was told, I don't even want you to pray for these people. Remember that? I don't even want you to intercede for them. So what Jeremiah does is he prays for himself that he might better help the people. (laughs) He says, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. Correct me, O Lord, but in justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. Pour out your wrath on the nations you know, I'm sorry, on the nations that you know not, and on the peoples that call not on your name, for they have devoured Jacob, they have devoured him and consumed him, and have laid waste his inhabit his uh, habitation. Um, there was a um, a commentator that I thought summarized this section very well. Let's see if I can find it. I can't find it. But basically that there were three arguments here. First of all, um, this kind of uh, personal request, you know, help me, Lord. And then secondly, um, appeal an appeal to justice, you know. Um, we want you to punish these other nations. And then uh, remember your people. I mean, that's, that's basically the, were the three... Um, arguments there. Interestingly, um, you know, next week we'll be talking maybe about the importance of covenant. Um, In this chapter 10, Jeremiah could have spoken against idols because of the commands and how they had broken their covenant and all that sort of stuff. But instead, he basically just makes the point from reason. Just that, y'all, this is silly. You know, look at, you're making stuff out of your own hands. You know, we did this in Isaiah, the same sort of thing. This is just, this is just something of your own creation. Um, that's kind of where we are. Now, I wanted to, to kind of make this, uh, there, at, at any point along Jeremiah, we could probably make this point, but this is as good as any, that as we read through this, right, so we're, we're, we want to get out of Scripture what is there to get out of it, right? I mean, that's what we're all here for. So as we're going through this, part of the challenge for all of us and for dead me is to try to figure out, okay, how are we going to take this? How are we going to apply this? And when we went through Isaiah, I would say, okay, what does this passage say about God? What does it say about Jesus? What does it say about us? Right? Those are some things. Those are always good questions to ask. But when you hear God speaking to the nation of Israel, calling them to repentance, promising to um, 
you know, and, and more so in the past, because I think the, um, uh, the writing on the wall that we use that metaphor, you know, that's the writing on the wall. That actually hasn't happened yet, right? That happens in Babylon when Nebuchadnezzar writes on the wall, but that hasn't happened yet. But it's, it's pretty much going to be a done deal what's happening to them, right? And when, when he says, I'm going to sling out the inhabitants of the land at this time, the time was fairly close. Uh, in any event, um, there were promises to the nation right? God is dealing with them at a nation. Repent. Blessings if you do what I tell you to do. Correction if you don't. It's easy for us to put ourselves in that kind of nation sort of posture, right? And so we think about when we hear this and we hear all the arguments against the, the corruption, right? It's easy for us to look at that and at our own nation and see the corruption, right? Am I the only one that does? Right, we see that, right? <laughs> and so, so many times when, when we're saying amen to what's happening here, we're picturing that in our own culture, right? And I've referenced it today. You know, we see stupid people. We see rich people and powerful that are trying to influence us. So, so there are those parallels, right? But we have to be careful that we remember that we're still in the new <coughs> covenant, not the old covenant, right? So when if we were going to be New Testament about this, all these things are being railed on and preached on. They are not being preached to the United States. Get that? God is not preaching to America. If we translate this, this is God preaching to the church. Right? The New Testament is where there's a new vine, right? We said you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. The Jews were definitely in Adam, right? The truly circumcised of the heart, that's us. Those are the people that, you know, if this same message was to come today, it wouldn't be how horrible is America. It would be how horrible is the church. Right? So, right. So when we talk about us and them, which we often tend to do, I do it too, sometimes we need to remind ourselves who the us and them is. <laughs> so if you think about it, I should have, in my heart, I should have more in common with a Christian in Russia or China than I do with non-Christians in America. We should be more likely to care about the same things. We should be more likely to act the same way. We should, you see? And that's not often the way we think, right? So as we're going through all this, just kind of have in mind 
you know, who is this really writing to? And uh, I'm going to do it next week too probably, right? All right, I've got, I've got more. Uh, <laughs> so I'll, I'll pick up here. All right, any comments? written like you say to us today but there are parallels huge because parallels. we create our idols in the Hollywood industry we do and we do that's the rich in sports yes, yeah sports. here's a teaser though I think for the Christian church in America Our idols are sometimes politicians that we think might be aligned with us when they're pagans. Stay tuned. Father, I thank you for how fresh your word is. I pray that you would humble us all, help us to start to tear down any of the idols that we have made, or any idols we've adopted by those that have been made for us. And I pray that you'd keep us ever mindful of keeping the focus on uh, the main things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody.